This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. the latest edition of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball as uh look who it is if it isn't uh mr skipping last week himself sam dykstra hi sam you thought you could get rid of me that's what everybody at home thought i'm sure i listened to last week's episode (laughs) and i heard you guys speaking of me in the first five seconds of the show just saying look at us this is the new improved Show before the show because we don't have Sam Dykstra. Well, guess what? We I'm trimmed back. the fat. Yeah. And not only that, I banished Ben to Texas. <laughs> ben has been, uh, he's been outcast. He is excommunicated. Not really. He's going to join the show coming up next. Um, but hey, welcome into this week's edition. My name is Tyler Mon. His name is Sam Dykstra. We're talking all things minor league baseball as we turn the corner around the middle of the month of May and uh, head toward the the start of summer, the dog days, which is fitting because I have two of them in my room right now, one of them laying on my feet. Um, And we've got a a whole bunch to talk about. You can get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com if you would like. Uh, Sam is on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB. Ben Hill is on Twitter at Ben's Biz. And... uh, so let's get started on uh, three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Benjamin Hill coming up in a little bit, and uh, we actually have already recorded that interview in which Ben used a phrase that we are going to use for a second time in this podcast, which is, quote, salute our new robot overlords. And uh, <laughs> that is uh, where we kick things off a strike one. The automated ball strike system has officially arrived in the Pacific coast league, uh, which it did uh, just a couple of days ago. We're recording this on Thursday, the 19th. It was on uh, Tuesday, the first day of this week's series across the AAA PCL um, that we now see the automatic ball strike system uh, in play in AAA. The uh, initial reaction has been mostly if you didn't know it was being used, you wouldn't know it was being used. And uh, Alex Friedman, our uh, our buddy and friend of the podcast from the Oklahoma City Dodgers, uh, he posted the 2022 ABS reference card, um, which I know is in their game notes as well. Uh, and essentially it defines the strike zone. So the width of the strike zone is the 17 inch width of the plate plus an inch off either edge of the plate. The depth is essentially directly in the middle of the plate. So the uh, the home plate itself is 17 inches, eight and a half from the front and the back is where the uh, strike zone essentially hangs uh, in virtual midair. Top and bottom of the strike zone are 52.5% of a batter's height and 27% of a batter's height, which is funny because there is actually a graphic that shows the top and bottom settings for major league hitters, and it compares 
five foot six Jose Altuve of the Houston Astros and six foot seven Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees. Jose Altuve's strike zone goes from two foot 11 inches. That's the top border of the strike zone for him to one foot six inches. Uh, for Aaron Judge, it's three feet five inches. That's his top border and one point uh, and one foot nine inches for the bottom border just above the knees. Um, and the strike zone summary is that if any part of the baseball touches the zone, that pitch will be called a strike. The size of the zone is supposed to be similar to what is called at the major league level. Um, Sam, your thoughts, the things you've heard and how this has been implemented so far. Yeah. I mean, we've had this for a little bit, right? Like we yeah. saw it last year in the Arizona fall league. It's been in the Florida state league uh, in the past when it was the low eight Southeast. Now it's kind of used for challenges. Uh, it's been in Charlotte in AAA, in Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte home games um, all season. It's just starting in the PCL this week. Um, so it's a new thing there. That's why we're talking about it now. It's for half of AAA or, well, not half of AAA, but half of the AAA leagues um, are now seeing this. So it's going to be something you're going to hear talked about uh, coming up in the, in the days and weeks to come. But mostly, like you said, Tyler, Josh Shushan of the AAA Albuquerque Isotopes, another friend of the show and um, former guest of the show, had a tweet thread about the first night of the ABS system, the automatic balls and strikes. And it was basically, listen, everybody kind of knows the score of it. Um, you don't recognize it when you see it. There are going to be some close calls. One thing I want to highlight of what you said, Tyler, is if it touches the zone in any way, it's a strike. So you might even look in a game day in a baseball savant and say, that's really borderline. Like that's just on the outside corner. Well, if it touches that zone at all, it's a strike. And it could get kind of frustrating for batters uh, for that to happen, but you have to kind of know that going in. And hopefully it's just going to eventually set up a more defined strike zone. Uh, we're going to feel it out, see how it goes. Um, the fact that it's being expanded means that both Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball wants to get a closer look at it. Uh, you can make an argument about the human element and how much that adds to the game. Um, I, I'm always for just having a fair version of the game for both sides. Uh, there's all sorts of umpire scoreboards out there now. That's a thing that goes around right. uh, Twitter a lot every day is you'll watch a game and think that strike zone is really off. So you want to go check the umpire scoreboard the next day. That's a form of entertainment in itself, but it's not really fair. If we know exactly what the zone is going to be, I think that works out well for all sides. And obviously colloquially it's called robot umpires, but that's not what's happening here. There is a person behind home plate who is getting a message fed to them saying whether it's a ball or strike. Um, it is not just a computer set up back there because there's still going to be somebody who needs to make calls at home plate on right. the plate and, and all that stuff. Um, so it might lead to some funny moments coming up in the PCL. Occasionally you'll have somebody get thrown out for arguing a ball strike call with an automated system like this um, just because they're frustrated and there's nothing the umpire can do. But if you argue long enough, you're going to get tossed. I'm sure there's going to have, there's going to be a moment that goes viral like that just because of the law of averages. There are a lot of PCL games ahead of us the rest of the way. Um, but the fact that, you know, what Josh said, what Alex said is that you don't really necessarily notice it all that much when it's going along uh, is encouraging. And you know, hopefully it just means an even playing field for both sides when you know exactly what a strike is and these sign, the, you know, the thing you read off, uh, are widespread across the league. Everybody has a general understanding of what it is. It, it shouldn't be a surprise. The interesting thing to me is the inch on either side, which I think kind of builds in the human error element of it. Yes, you're taught from the very beginning, the strike or the, the plate is the strike zone. 
But in actuality, most umpires are giving a little bit of buffer on either side. The fact that they build that into the ABS is interesting to me. And again, this is still the experimental stage. So if it ever comes to Major League Baseball, it might not be what you read out, Tyler. There could be some improvements, some changes, some alterations uh, going forward. But this is where we are now. We'll be keeping an eye on it the rest of the way because it, you know, it, it could lead to some interesting calls and some interesting moments uh, in the weeks and months to come. The thing that fascinates me, and it obviously has to go off of off of a camera setup, but is how it, you know, in a game in which Jose Altuve and Aaron Judge, as examples, step into the batter's box, how the software is able to redefine itself to pick up the top and bottom of those strike zones fascinates me, just in like a programming standpoint, because um, I am somebody who you know, writes and speaks words for a living. And so if it comes to like computers and math and science, I have no idea what's going on. So that's fascinating to me. The only thing I can imagine, and again, this is, I don't have the answer in front of me, so maybe I shouldn't say this, but you know that tool you have on your iPhone? Yeah. Where you can pick a point and then pick another point and it'll tell you what the distance is between those points. I'm sure it's a much more, more complicated version of that. And fittingly, I've never been able to get that to work. So it works uh, perfectly for this conversation. The, the way I've used it, which is probably not the way it was intended, was you have a certain amount of distance that you're allowed to park to a uh, fire hydrant. Ah, that is smart. And I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. I, I avoid parking near fire hydrants now just because I never want to get too close. But at one point, I did pull it out and just be like, what is the distance here? I don't That's have a smart. tape measure on me. That is smart. And then I think I've ended up moving it anyways, because the anxiety got <laughs> Just out of the anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's New York City parking for you. Well, let's move on to strike two and talk about the uh, newest top prospect in baseball with the graduation of Bobby Witt Jr., uh, Adley Rutschman, who has moved into the number one overall spot and has also moved up to AAA. He did so back on May 6th uh, after starting his rehab assignment this year uh, with High A Aberdeen then moving up to AA Bowie. Now he is with Norfolk uh, with the tides over his last couple of games homers in each of his last two he's gone three for eight over his last two games uh he's walked once he hasn't struck out over his last three uh the overall numbers so far through 11 triple a games 231 375 462 uh he's certainly getting there he was fantastic at high a and double a uh give us the latest of what you're hearing on adley rutschman yeah so the reason why i was not here last week was because i was in norfolk uh for the mlb pipeline game of the month uh, for a what ended up being a great game. Grayson Rodriguez pitched, Matthew Libertor pitched for Memphis. Adley Rutschman homered in that game. So did Nolan Gorman. Uh, it was super fun to watch that game kind of go along and have four top 100 prospects show off their skills. But I talked to Adley Rutschman before the game and for a QA and uh, that we did for MLB Pipeline on the Instagram. And that, now that Q&A is written up uh, on MLB.com. And it was fascinating talking to him because I was asking him about the triceps injury. And I was saying, you know, how are you recovered from that? And he's like, oh, we're a full go. And, and didn't like brush me aside, but just kind of had the look of like, listen, I wouldn't be here at all if there were any concerns about the injury. Um, so that seems fully behind him. The big thing for the Orioles seems like just getting him to catch in back-to-back days again, because that's the big issue with him is just testing the triceps, testing the arm. Um, he's done that, I think, twice now. He started back-to-back games at catcher. He's getting more and more time back there. He's certainly looking comfortable at the plate. Uh, his games have been in Charlotte this week, and uh, Charlotte has stack cast data. He's had two home runs there. Both had exit velos above 100 miles an hour. Uh, one homer had one at 112.6. 
miles per hour, which would be the hardest hit home run by an Oriole at the major league level. Nobody at the major league level for the Orioles has hit a home run harder than that. So he's certainly looking better with the bat. Um, I was getting a lot of questions last week in Norfolk. Do you think he's going to be up by Monday? I didn't think so. Again, we just need to see him behind the plate more. And he did start out a little rough with the bat in Norfolk after looking pretty solid at Aberdeen and Bowie before that. I've always kind of circled June 1st. I think he's going to be up before June 1st. Um, the way he's looking now, it could be very much before that. It could be as early as next week. Uh, but I think a lot of Orioles fans kind of wanted him up immediately. And for the O's, they didn't want him getting comfortable behind the plate again at the major league level. They want that to fully happen uh, in Norfolk at AAA. Seems like he's there now. He caught a Grayson Rodriguez gem again the other night. Grayson Rodriguez once again singing his praises as a catcher. They are on a different wavelength when it comes to batteries in, in minor league baseball. Um, so all, all systems are go, like I said, on the health front. Um, it certainly looks like offensively he's getting there as well. And the more time he gets a catcher, the closer he's going to get to Baltimore. So come next week's podcast, we could very much be talking about the major league debut of Adley Rutschman. And strike three this week for the second time in three days, four days, uh, four days, I guess, in total. The uh, San Antonio Missions threw a combined no-hitter, uh, which is crazy. Four different pitchers uh, this time around. San Antonio, uh, the AA Padres affiliate, will actually hear uh, Ben discuss San Antonio coming up here in a little bit because he is headed there. Um, the thing about minor league no-hitters is that they are exciting. They are fun. But it's also like a little weird because you don't really know what the value holds in them, especially in combined ones. Um, a 4 nothing win, Osvaldo Hernandez and Mason Fox uh, getting the uh, the no-hitter on Wednesday. Back on Sunday, it was Lake Bacar, Moises Lugo, Carlos Bellin, and Kevin Copps. Uh, the 16th nine-inning no-hitter in franchise history, the ninth in the minors this year. Two no-hitters in four days. Two no-hitters in a season is pretty rare. Two no-hitters in four days is crazy. Um, but what what's the value of this? I mean, it's an exciting thing for fans. Um, what does it tell you about a team? Yeah, I mean, it it tells you that that pitching staff is really good, yeah. first off. I mean, it just, like, the reason why I wanted to talk about this week, is that this week, is because we've seen it happen at the major league level this season between the Clayton Kershaw going deep into a start with no hits and people debating, oh, he shouldn't come out, whatever. Uh, Hunter Green and the Cincinnati Reds threw a no-hitter in a loss. He also came out early but had thrown more pitches than anybody in Major League Baseball to that point. And there's been this kind of debate at the Major League level saying, oh, it's not a real no-hitter uh, if there are multiple pitchers involved and that that's cheapens the game. I don't know. I, Tyler, maybe we've covered minor league baseball for so long and – this is just commonplace to us because obviously the minor leagues are about development and not about individual achievement in that way, uh, in an in, in individual game. But I get just as excited about a minor league no-hitter if there's five pitchers or two – or five pitchers, two pitchers, one pitcher. Like, it's really cool. And for San Antonio to do this twice in three games, twice in four days, is insane. I mean, it just it, – it, it almost feels like this was made for the moment of like, Hey guys, listen, you can be excited about no hitters. They are rare. They, they don't happen. I don't care what the missions are doing. Like it, this is not some trend. This is just some crazy fact that now is part of minor league baseball that we're going to remember for a very long time. Hopefully um, kudos to them. They seem to seem to be on a different wavelength right now. Uh, yes. There's some luck involved in no hitters. Uh, they're not crazy strikeout games. 
like we saw last weekend in the Florida State League when Dunedin had um, their pitchers combined for 24 strikeouts. Like we could have a debate over whether that's more exciting and whether that's um, not more important, but whether you know that's better. Well, more pitching. impressive feat. Yeah. More impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but still, like to get two no hitters in a week is is super cool, and that should be celebrated. Every minor league no hitter is going to be celebrated on our, our end because of the work that those guys put into that, and it's a long season, and anything you can do to stand out is huge. Um, but for San Antonio to do it twice in a week like this is just insane. And now, uh, you know, I, I, we didn't bring this up with Ben in our next segment, but I kind of wanted to say, Ben, you know, it's on you now. Like you, if they don't get a no hitter, it's kind of because you're in the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Cause two out of the last four days, yeah. no Ben it's happened. So Ben gets there and all of a sudden they give up eight knocks. Well, San Antonio, you know who to call. Um, so that's three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. And Benjamin Hill joins us from Sugarland, Texas, coming up next. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we head down to the uh, the very large, I've always heard, state of Texas, uh, where we are joined by one Benjamin Hill from uh, the sweetest sounding place in minor league baseball, Sugarland. Texas. Ben, what's going on? How are you? How's Texas? Hey, Tyler. Hey, Sam. Yeah, I'm in Sugarland, Texas, which is, I suppose you could describe as a, a suburb, uh, an extension of Houston. And uh, in my own travels and my own reference points, which aren't necessarily entirely accurate, I would say that Sugarland is to Houston what Frisco is to Dallas-Fort Worth. An area that probably didn't have a lot of population for quite some time. Um, But then as those cities continued to sprawl and sprawl, got bigger and bigger. I'm in essentially what is Sugarland's downtown right now. And it's not some old Texas downtown, whatever your association associations with that might be. Uh, it feels like it was all built at once and it's, uh, you know, very new seeming and a little bit, you know, bougie for, for lack of a way to put it. Um, but it seems like this is a, a town and a city that, uh, as it exists today, you know, has really come into its own over the last couple decades, as opposed to having a very long history. I'm sure there's a very long history here and Sugarland speaks to that history of, of the sugar industry, but um, it is a big, large, sprawling uh, fairly close to Houston, you know, maybe 35, 30, 30 miles away from Houston, uh, big sprawling community. And yes, it is the home of the Sugarland Space Cowboys, who I came to visit, uh, who are, of course, the Houston Astros AAA affiliate. And one of the newest members of minor league baseball, of course, joining uh, the affiliated ranks of the minor leagues as of last year as the Astros uh, AAA affiliate. And they did so as the Skeeters, now the Space Cowboys, with their new identity unveiled uh, for 2022. And you got a chance to check out uh, a little bit of Sugarland, Constellation Field, all that. Give us uh, your impressions of your first trip uh, to check out one of the, the newest franchises in the minors. Yeah, well, it's always nice being back on the road. Uh, 
dealing with my anxieties and uh, all that kind of thing. And then once I get going, I'm like, ah, buddy, you got this. So it's good to be back out here. And um, yeah, obviously never been here before because Sugarland were the Skeeters and they were an independent league team uh, through 2020. And so really, obviously, a big part of the story with that team is, you know, that this is their first year as the Space Cowboys, second year as an Astros affiliate. And um, there's been a lot of ballpark improvements. You know, I didn't I hadn't visited this ballpark uh, previously, so I don't have a direct reference point. But, you know, there's a lot of excitement over, um, you know, the food, a lot of fan amenities, a lot of the player amenities. Uh, it's really gotten a facelift, you know, to be up to the major league standards, the city working in conjunction with the Astros. Um, to really improve the ballpark. The team is owned by the Astros, who now own most of their affiliates. They also own Corpus Christi and Fayetteville. And so it's a whole new ballgame in, in Sugarland. Uh, but the ballpark itself, I'd say, is um, it was built in 2012, and it feels you know, fairly standard in a, in a generalized sense. You know, uh, large footprint, you know, big wraparound concourse, um, and again, a lot of uh, improvements. I think they've where this ballpark maybe really shines is in the outfield. Uh, there's a huge kids play area, a pool, a uh, you know patio deck, a um, a bar. I think it's called the Budweiser Ice House. Um, but this is the sort of ballpark for sure. If you like vantage points, that's a, uh, a term I use quite a bit. This is a ballpark with a lot of room to move, a lot of vantage points. And, um, you know, I really appreciated that aspect. And there seemed to be a lot of excitement with how much is, is new and improved over the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and, and you touched on it, obviously, going from an independent league team to uh, an Astros affiliate. Are there any Astros touches you feel like that you've seen around the ballpark that they are really trying to tap into? This? Because between them and St. Paul, both of the new AAA affiliates that we've had over the last two years, have been clubs that are right next door to their parent club. So how much Astros is there in the Space Cowboys experience? Well, I mean, I think on a certain level, you could argue that pretty much all the improvements are Astros touches because they came about as a result of, you know, partnering with the Astros and the Astros taking such a direct role in the team's operation. There isn't a lot of overt Houston, you know, Houston, uh, you know, logos and overt Houston Astros uh, marks, but you know the Space Cowboys that ties into the affiliation with uh, the Astros. You know Astros space space space, and of course Cowboys. Then harkening back to you know the Texas history as well. And um, you know, for example, the the team store is named Galaxy Gifts, which I was informed was the first name the name of the first team store in the Astrodome. You know, so that's a, a nod back to that. But just the overall branding very much ties the team in with Houston. And, uh, you know, so many of the improvements are a result of that uh, partnership. So their footprint on it is huge. Plus, the team can give, you know, being 30 miles away from Houston, you know, they can do player-related giveaways now and Astros team giveaways. And they're having a lot of success with that. They couldn't do that as an independent league club. Um, you know, they gave away um, American League Championship rings recently, replica rings, and, uh, you know, had an almost sellout crowd for that. And people lined up hours and hours before the game. And so that kind of local tie in with the Major League Club was obviously something you couldn't do before you actually had an explicit connection with them. And Ben, as you're getting to know, uh, you know, Sugar Land and, and when you first stepped into the building, or what you knew about it ahead of time and now you've got to experience, what would you say is the defining feature of the excellently named Constellation Field? The defining feature, the one thing that really stands out in a lot of ways, 
I almost think it's the new, the new playground. I mean, it stretches for a huge swath of the outfield and it's uh, I think it's called the Kitty Corral or something like that. But some of it is space themed. Some of it is cowboy themed. And um, it's one of the largest playgrounds I've seen at a minor league ballpark. And obviously that's huge. Um, if you're creating a family friendly environment, of course, we want kids to sit down and watch the game, keep score even. But being realistic, um, you know, having a place to really spread out at this ballpark, uh, run around the entirety of the concourse and uh, specifically spend a lot of time at the playground. I mean, that's really what jumped out at me. The overall surrounding of the ballpark is I, I feel in my small time here, kind of indicative of Sugarland itself. There's a retirement community behind it, essentially, that's called Overtures for 55 plus. There's some condos and apartments. So the, the ballpark itself is in this larger area of kind of recent development and um, kind of feels of a piece with uh, you know, the larger Sugarland aesthetic. So it doesn't jump out in terms of, wow, this awesome view or wow, these surroundings. But the ballpark itself, I think, is like Texas, you know, there's just a lot of room to move, but yet the capacity is one of the smallest in AAA. I think it's just a little over 7,000 or 7,200. Um, so it's still comparatively intimate, but uh, you do not have to stay in your seat and uh, you can you can explore widely at this ballpark. Also got a very cool Texas-shaped video board, which I remember when uh, when they built that park, I was just like mesmerized by, and that is a pretty cool thing. You can check you out- You know what, Tyler? You know, I was here yesterday. Yeah. So I should have- had that answer at the ready, that's <laughs> probably the defining characteristic. No, not necessarily. Now that I think about it, you're right. Why do I even go anywhere? <laughs> well, so we'll put it this way. I wouldn't have seen it had you not tweeted it then. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful scoreboard, and it's outlined in blue. So I had my tweet yesterday that Texas is a blue state, which is maybe not <laughs> correct, but it's... Sure, uh, that went over well. It's literally correct at uh, at a Sugarland game, uh, but that is an awesome scoreboard. So maybe that is the defining thing because when you walk in the main entrance and you're on the home plate side and you look outward, yeah, you see a big Texas uh, scoreboard, and it looks better at night because it does have that blue outline around it. That is really cool. Um, and uh, from Sugarland, we stay uh, in AAA. And we make a journey for a uh, story that Ben's got up at MILB.com right now about something that we actually touched on last week in our conversation with Winston-Salem groundskeeper Corey Church, which is that the Louisville Bats, uh, the AAA affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds, they added a robo-mower to their grounds crew in uh, in 2022, the Husqvarna I don't know. Do you say this word or is it a, is it a, an initialism C E O R A Kiora? I don't know. Um, but the, uh, the bats now have a robo mower. Now it's not something that like, well, all right, they're laying off the whole ground screw. They're going all robots on the, uh, on the ground screw. Now it's not that, uh, but it is something that is going to help, um, I guess, accentuate the work of the ground screw and, you know, as we have all learned over the last decade or so, uh, Robo Lives. Tell us about the Robo Mower in Louisville. Yeah, it is a Husqvarna Ciora, I believe is Ciora. how you say it. Okay. Ciora is all capitalized, C-E-O-R-A. And I believe the Ciora aspect of it refers to its, you know, its brain. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, whatever parts are in there that, that makes it do what it, what it does. But the Louisville Bats put out a press release right before the start of the season about acquiring this new robo mower. And I kind of put it on my list of stories to pursue and was glad to be able to write something up, get a little more background. Of course, when the story did come up on Twitter, you know, there was a lot of reaction of like, oh, I hate this or, you know, welcome our new robot overlords. Uh, knock on wood. Yeah, this is not something to ever replace the groundskeepers. 
But uh, you know, I talked to the Brett uh, to the, the to the Bats VP of Stadium Operations, Brett Myers, and he was saying, you know, this is a tool, a supplement. You know, you can program this thing for when there might be a period to mow. You know, between two and three in the morning. Um, you know, it's a tool these guys use. They don't use it, you know, on game days when players might be out warming up. They still have regular mowers. There's still obviously a lot of the human element. Um, you know, maybe being a little snarky, but another common feedback on what this thing looks like is, you know, a Roomba for groundskeeping, but it's really an impressive piece of machinery. Um, you know, it's GPS satellite enabled, you program in a map of the field and no mow zones, and then you program its route on the field and it follows its route. It stops. If it comes across an obstacle, it has a home that it makes its way back to a charging point, a charging port in the uh, groundskeepers area beyond the center field batter eye. And uh, so it's, it's a pretty cool piece of technology. And Husqvarna, the company that makes it, is based in Sweden. So this is pretty widely used in Europe, I imagine mostly for you know, soccer, what they would call football fields. So the fact that the Bats are the first North American baseball team to do this has resulted in kind of a unique partnership in that it is helping Husqvarna figure out this product for a North American baseball market because there's different types of grass for different types of climates. And, um, you know, right now the bats are transitioning to Bermuda grass from an annual rye overseed. And, you know, the mower has handled the, the rye overseed okay, but okay, now that it's warmer weather, they transition to a different type of grass. Can it handle that? It hasn't really dealt with that kind of thing before. It measures the grass cutting in millimeters instead of, you know, inches because it's a European product. So in a way, the bats are, you know, helping to test it for the North American market. And Tyler, when you and I had Corey Church on the, on the show, last week and talking to him about groundskeeping you know he works in winston-salem i asked him about this and you know he was not like oh oh no that's gonna ruin our jobs he was like yeah man uh, that's where the technology is going and i imagine that that'll be part of my operation soon and yeah. um, that's in talking to the bats that was the feedback is yeah some fans have been interested about what this thing is but for the most part they've been getting a lot of responses from other groundskeepers being like hey can i come up and take a look at this um, because huh. i think it is a tool that could help well, and it's interesting, too, because one thing that Corey said is the the advent of things like this um, invention, they can't replace a groundskeeper who can look at the way a ball bounces when it's batted on the infield and think, OK, we need to do something with that spot or the lip is getting to be too dramatic going to the outfield or whatever. So it is a tool that accentuates a job and probably helps make parts of the job easier. And that's definitely the way to, to approach it. It's the way it's the same way I feel about people who are very like anti-analytics, anti-advanced stats. Like we're not trying to replace all the things that you know and love and enjoy. These are things that can help accentuate or, uh, you know, give you a better understanding of the things that you know and love and enjoy. And for grounds crews, I would imagine that there are a lot of people around the country who look at that and go, yeah, that would free up our guys to do a lot of extra stuff that we could do, you know, X, Y, and Z projects that we put off to the end of homestands or whatever. It just seems like something that would be a very big asset um, when it's utilized in a, a way that, um, you know, is complementary to the grounds crew. Yeah, I, I would definitely think so. I would hate to be proven wrong in 20 years when grounds keep grounds crews are entirely robots and someone digs up this segment and they're like, look how naive. Look they at all these were. idiots. <laughs> they had no idea. Well, except they won't. This will be a robot podcast by then. So it's not like, you know, they won't be able to dunk on us because the, the hosts will be robots too. That's true. Cyborg Dykstra. <laughs> 
cyborg. Hey, how, who told you about my nickname from high school? <laughs> um, but but Ben, before we let you go, you do have a little bit more left on your trip. Um, you are headed to San Antonio and Round Rock uh, over the weekend. So people listening to this, they might be able to still go to those games. You will be at San Antonio on the 20th. Uh, Round Rock on the 21st. What are you looking forward to most about being back at those places? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tonight, uh, as we're talking here on Thursday, I've got another night in Sugarland going to uh, meet with a designated eater today and um, for the Space Cowboys and have that covered by a local uh, ABC station, or at least that's the plan. So that should be interesting. And then on to San Antonio and Round Rock, like you said, Sam, uh, it's been eight years since I've been to both of those places. So definitely, uh, time to get a new sense of what those places are all about. Um, you know, the San Antonio has had its, they're back where they started essentially, um, you know, a double A team in the Texas league, but in the meantime, you know, they went to triple A for a little bit and, um, you know, bounced around, uh, you know, for different leagues and affiliations, but they are now a double A affiliate in the Texas league of the, of the Padres. So, uh, everything old is new again, but you know that's a one of baseball's uh, or one of the state of Texas most uh, historic markets, and uh, you know big military presence there with nearby uh, bases. So um, you know looking forward to seeing that one again, Nelson Wolf Stadium and and Round Rock again. Been eight years since I've been there, and when I was there last time, it was like a Monday night. So looking forward to uh, seeing that on a Saturday Saturday night, and presumably quite a bit more energy. Uh, I know there's a quite a few ballpark improvements since the last time I was there. So looking forward to getting caught up to speed on all those, on all those things, you know, saying hello to as many people as possible. And uh, yeah, for all my complaining and for all my, uh, Oh boy, what am I doing on the road? I like it. I keep doing it. I'm glad to be out here. Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter at Ben's biz. You can subscribe to the newsletter at MILB.com as well. And uh, thanks man. Enjoy the rest of the trip. Thanks. That's the plan. Um, enjoy my time in Sugarland because I don't know when I'll be back to Sugarland. It's a very sweet place. I was trying to come up with a better joke. Never mind. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So huge thanks to Ben and obviously uh, safe travels to him. Again, you can follow along with Ben's road trip. Uh, he is at Ben's biz on Twitter. He's at the Ben's biz on Instagram and uh, you can catch his content, of course, at MILB.com. And uh, with that, we, uh, we got another topic that we want to dive into the uh, pipeline top 100. We, we update things as the season goes along and all of that. And we uh, wanted to discuss a couple of prospects trending upward and a couple of prospects whose stock might be falling a little bit. So Sam, give us two prospects up, two prospects down as we head into the middle stretches of the season. Yeah, so we're going to be doing some market corrections for MLB Pipeline um, coming up in the next week. Uh, a big reason for that being that Sunday is a day when a lot of prospects will be graduating. It's the day in which if you're on the opening day roster and you had no previous major league experience, you will hit the days requirement uh, for 
prospect graduation. So there's going to be some turnover on some of the team lists, some turnover on the top 100. We thought it was a good opportunity roughly six weeks into the season uh, to give the top 100 just a little light refresh. Nothing crazy is going to happen here, but there's certainly been some guys who have stood out early and we want the list to, to reflect that. Uh, so what I'm going to throw out real quick on the upside is Daniel Espino, uh, who I believe we've talked about on the show before. Crazy start this year uh, at AA Akron in the Guardian system. 2-4-5 ERA over four starts, 35 strikeouts, only four walks in 18 and a third innings. He's currently on the injured list with a knee issue. Um, doesn't seem like it's going to be a long-term problem with him, but the stuff before that was crazy insane. Um, he was, he's got a plus-plus fastball, the slider. Kind of sounds like it, it's almost out of the Jacob deGrom school. It's in the low 90s, if you can believe that. Uh, he's got a curveball that works as well to give him another breaking ball shape. The control has improved. Uh, the question with Espino going back to his days as a 2019 first rounder was, yes, he can throw incredibly hard. Does he know where it's going to go? Is he going to be able to land his pitches? He's doing that exceptionally well and looking like a potential ace uh, in that Cleveland system. So the rankings will reflect that. I won't spoil where he's going to land, but expect a significant jump for Daniel Espino. And one another one is another hard thrower who, you know, last year we we thought big things of Bobby Miller in the Dodgers system. Uh, another first round pick to, he came out of Louisville in, in 2020, uh, 29th overall pick another, again, hard thrower consistently in the upper nineties. Uh, I think he can touch triple digits at times as well Has a hard slider has a good changeup. Uh, but again, he's, he's taking it pretty well to double a Tulsa to begin the year, 25 strikeouts over 21 in the third innings. The big question on him coming into the year, uh, he was a little dinged up last year, only through 56 in the third innings made up for it. In the Arizona Fall League, he was dealing with an oblique injury for much of last year. That was the issue. Uh, he's been healthy to begin the year this time, and it, every one of his starts is basically becoming must-follow because of the velocity. Uh, but the more and more he pitches deeper into the season, the more and more we feel like he can be another really, really solid pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. We just saw them bring up Ryan Pepio uh, this past couple of weeks with his devastating changeup, Miller brings more velocity to the table. That's always going to make him stand out. Um, but the fact that he seems healthy and on the right track to begin 2022, again, expect a jump for him, maybe not as significant as, as, as Espino, but pretty healthy in his own right. Uh, some guys who are dropping real quick, uh, Cade Cavalli of the Washington national system last year's minor league strikeout leader, uh, Cavalli last year, when he did reach AAA, he climbed three levels to make it there, had some command issues. AAA batters were willing to lay off some of his stuff outside the zone. And when he did pitch in the zone, it became hittable, understandable. Again, he climbed three levels. Uh, he was going to hopefully take that and learn from it. Not saying he hasn't learned from it, but again, this year we're seeing some of the same issues. The command isn't there. Um, when he is throwing in the zone, it's kind of right down the middle for guys to hit. There has been some bad luck. It seems like. Uh, his BABIP is pretty high for a starting pitcher, but his ERA right now is 7.62, 27 strikeouts, 14 walks, and 28 in the third innings. He needs to be at least a strikeout and inning guy. He's kind of there right now, but he needs to exceed that to really have value as somebody who we thought could be a potential number one pitcher for the Washington Nationals. Right now, yes, he can turn it around. He has the breaking balls. He has the changeup. He has the full arsenal. It's just he needs to know how to command it and get guys out and sequence maybe a little bit better as well. So he'll be dropping just a, a skosh uh, in our rankings. And also Austin Martin of the Minnesota Twins system. This is his first full season uh, in the Twins. You might remember that he was 
acquired last year from the Blue Jays in a midseason trade uh, for Jose Barrios. Austin Martin, fifth overall pick in 2020, basically because of his hit tool, there was the potential that it could be plus to plus plus coming out of college ranks. Uh, he's above average runner. Maybe he could play shortstop. Maybe he could play center field. Was kind of hoping that the Twins would figure that out. It is still early in his career. He's only 23 right now. He turned 23 in March. So he'll be that age for the entire season. But for a guy who needs his bat to be his driving force, he's batting 246 to begin this year. Uh, more strikeouts than maybe we would expect. He's The one thing I can say is he's stealing bases. He already has 17 stolen bases at AA Wichita in 31 games. But it's very little power. He's only slugging 336. That comes after he slugged 382 last year. Um, it, it really makes you question the impact of that. We have him at number 48 overall. He will be slipping down a little bit from there. Every opportunity for him to turn that around and maybe find some power or increase the hit tools, start making better contact as the year goes on and as he gets even more comfortable in Wichita. But uh, the arrow is certainly pointing down, at least for now, for Austin Martin. So that is uh, something to keep an eye on as we head toward the midseason market corrections. Not even midseason as of yet, but we're headed toward the end of May. And uh, Josh Jackson is going to swing by the show for Ghosts of the Miners. And then we're back to wrap it up. Coming up next. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Did not. 
The Suncaps began the year with former Tigers pitcher Bob Dustel at the helm, but the initial manager managed to have the team 25 and a half games out of first place by mid-June, and Dustel was dusted aside in favor of Terry Crestman, whom FSL execs found and lured away from coaching high school baseball out in California. But the Suncaps' problems had less to do with the man filling out lineup cards in dark dugouts than the product the big league systems were collectively putting under the lights on the field. Key West was simply adrift. For example, the Suncaps were freezing cold against the mediocre Fort Lauderdale Yankees. Through the 20th of June, Key West had won just two out of 12 games against Fort Lauderdale. And in a quirk of the co-op arrangement, both of those games were won by William Bill Sheets, a Yankees pitcher on loan to the Suncaps. After the second victory, Fort Lauderdale called him home again, lest they leave Sheets in the wind and drop another game to the lowly Suncaps. Maybe no team is an island, but Key West illustrated how a co-op club is often out to sea, as the Suncaps were comparatively left in the dark in terms of player development. In 1972, they took on the Conks name, established in 1952 but absent since 1953, and in 1974, Key West became a Cubs affiliate and took on the moniker of their parent cub, Fur Club. And that's how the Key West Suncaps went down. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these happy-go-lucky clubs had a ball in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Shreveport Gassers. B. The Port City Jammers. C. The Bridgeport Clowns. Want to know the answer? Smile! Or tune in for the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is cutting an album, and he doesn't have any scissors. <laughs>
Um, so make sure you see him potentially, you know, go for 20 home runs maybe by this point next week. But also in that game is Jordan Walker, who is the top prospect in the Cardinal system. He's off to a really, really good start at just 19 years old in the Texas League, one of the youngest players in double A to begin the year, is really not having any trouble making that transition. The power is coming along. That's always been the standout tool for him. But he's actually done a pretty good job at picking up hits earlier in the season. Now he's starting to show off some power as well. Uh, he had a home run the other night. Go check out MLB Pipeline to find it. But it was incredibly deep out to left field. Um, if he can start marrying that power with what we're seeing from the hit tool so far, he's going to be a really special player. So catch both of those guys playing at Tulsa next week on MILB TV. Uh, Tyler, like I said, you you also chose the Dodgers affiliate, right? I did. Yeah, I'm going a, a step up the ladder uh, with AAA Oklahoma City. Uh, the Dodgers had a strange week this week. It's the week to, I guess, correct the schedule from the first week of the season when AAA opened with a, a three-game series. So they are at El Paso uh, tonight. We're recording on Thursday the 19th. Then they go to Sugarland for three games over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, so a more uh, classic week of games, uh, I guess, what we used to be used to. But then next week, they're home against Reno from Tuesday through Sunday. So you can check out uh, the Oklahoma City Dodgers on MILB.TV. And the big reason for picking them, third-ranked prospect in that organization, Michael Bush, the infielder, uh, he is now up at the AAA level with Oklahoma City after just dominating the double a Texas league with Tulsa. He's made three pipeline prospect teams of the week already this season. Uh, he's been outstanding His double play partner, Jacob Amaya still uh, in double a with Tulsa, but we may see him get a bump up at some point this year. Those two have been ridiculous, uh, but Michael Bush homered in his triple a debut, a guy who has uh, had a lot of promise uh, in his short career in the Dodger system and is continuing to capitalize on that and kind of press the issue, uh, climbing the ranks. So uh, Michael Bush and AAA Oklahoma City at Sugarland this weekend, off on Monday and then home against Reno next week. And you can listen to our good pal, Alex Friedman. It's, a, it's an Alex Friedman reference dropping podcast this week on the show before the show, which is always a good thing. Hi, Alex. He's great. Alex is the best. Um, so with that, we will say goodbye for this week's episode of the show before the show. You can get in touch with us podcast at MILB.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and at Tyler Mon. And uh, for Benjamin Hill, Josh Jackson, Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. 